0: If you looked at yesterday, it's hard to believe, but the baseball season is actually upon us, so I figured we should go with the baseball metaphor and joke. Um, and it goes something like this. There was this first-grade teacher, and she was explaining that she was a New York Yankees fan. And she asked all of her students if they were New York Yankees fan, and if they were, raise their hands, and suddenly all the hands, of course, shoot up in the air. Not that they actually probably knew what a New York Yankee fan was, but, you know, you want to be liked by the teacher and whatnot. However, there was one little girl who did not raise her hand, and the teacher took note of that, and the teacher asked her why she did not raise her hand, and she said, why, well, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. And uh, the teacher said, well, why in the world would you be a Boston Red Sox fan? And she said, proudly, well, my daddy's a Boston Red Sox fan, so therefore I am a Boston Red Sox fan. And, and the teacher, a little irritated, said, well, that's, that's no reason. She then said, what if your dad's an idiot? What would you be then? And the little girl with the big smile said, well, I'd be a New York Yankees fan. (laughs) Pretty smart girl. All right. Now that we're warmed up, I do this morning want to look at an amazing woman. And uh, I've entitled the message this morning, Such a Time as This. Such a time as this. Lord, I do just thank you so much. It's great to be just with brothers and sisters, just praising you. I thank you for, again, always our worship teams and just allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through them. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing and gift. And Lord, if we did nothing else, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Nothing like just praising you. And now as we turn towards your word and look at this amazing woman, I ask that you would fill me and... uh, Fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head that I truly would speak your words. I also ask, Lord, I, I, I believe uh, these are going to be life-giving words as we look at this woman's life. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would give us just soft hearts to really receive and ears to hear what you are saying this morning. And so now may you be glorified, and I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. God has a plan. In fact, you know, when... Uh, I was early in my Christian year, seminary years, uh, one of the famous phrases out there, I think it was Campus Crusade, but they would say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And the clear implication of this statement was that God's primary purpose is to solve your problems and to make you happy. Now, what's the reality? The reality is I think most of us would have to agree with M. Scott Peck, who Started out his best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, with those three penetrating words, life is difficult. Sickness, death, disappointment, trials, heartache. These things just litter the path of our lives. So you might ask them, well, what is God's plan for my life? I can assure you of one thing. God's plan for your life is not to give you a pampered life, but a purposeful life. In fact, I want you to know this morning that if you choose really to follow Jesus Christ, if you choose to walk the path of truth, your life will not be easy. But it will be significant. It will be significant. We see this truth played out in the book of Esther and in the life of Esther The story of Esther is set during the time of the Medo-Persian Empire. Tim, can you put up that map? The empire at that point was at its zenith. Xerxes, the great otherwise known as Asuarius, was on the throne. The year was probably in and around 475 B.C. Now many of the Jews had returned back to their homeland after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And you can read about that in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. However, also many of the Jews chose not to return home to their homeland, but chose to stay in the new empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. Some had legitimate reasons for doing this. Others, though, it was sin, plain, and simple. You see, they had become comfortable in their lifestyle, and they had become flabby in their faith. You know anybody like that? Comfortable in their lifestyle, flabby in their faith. Esther is the story of two godly people who remained in Susa, the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire, and their names are Esther and her older cousin Mordecai, who eventually adopts her. Now you have the situation. Are the setting. Let me now give you the situation of Esther. Xerxes the Great, otherwise known as Azurarius, like I said, it's on the throne. Tim, you can show the picture. And Azurarius one day decides that he's going to throw a party. And one thing that Xerxes or Azurarius knew how to do was throw a party. His first party that he throws lasts 180 days, not 180 hours, 180 days. Now that's a party. On the heels of that 180-day bacchanal, he throws another party. This party, though, only lasts for seven days. However, he throws the doors open. He he invites all the citizens of Susa. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's a buffet. All-you-can-eat open bar. I mean, can you imagine the tab on that party? Well, the last day of the party... Xerxes is clearly hammered. That's in the Hebrew, trust me. And when somebody is drunk, when someone is inebriated, you know what follows? Stupid. And you can't fix stupid. Xerxes proves the point. So in his semi-inebriated state, he has a, a, you know a, an idea that he's going to invite his wife out, who's quite beautiful, and he's going to show her off her beauty to at least his top age. We're, we're unclear how many people were involved in this insanity. Now, when we're talking about inviting Vashti to come out, that's his queen, what he was inviting her to do was to come out in her birthday suit with a crown on her head. How do you think that's going to work? Well, no doubt Xerxes should have won the Meathead of the Year award, but that's a different matter. Vashti's though answer is short and sweet. Get lost and get a life. Good for her. However, that no Vashti's rebuff. Of the king, Xerxes, I mean, this creates a governmental crisis, seriously. In fact, one of Xerxes' top aides pulls him over and he says this to Xerxes. Tim, can you put up the scripture? There we have Esther chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. I recommend you read this book on your own, you know, in in, in your leisure time. It's a great, great story. So the aide says this to Xerxes, women everywhere. Everyone will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the kings, nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. I mean, what could be worse than a bunch of women in the kingdom having gone wild? I mean, now that is a serious governmental crisis. So here we have the king now, Xerxes, without his queen, Vasti, She's been disposed. That also creates a minor governmental crisis, and that leads to a very high cabinet-level meeting. And they have to figure out what they're going to do here. And so this brain trust gets together, and after many, many hours of putting their collective intelligence together, you know what they come up with? They come up with they should have the first Persian beauty pageant. The first Persian beauty pageant, and there's only going to be, you know, one judge, King Blockhead, otherwise known as Xerxes. And the winner, get this now, the winner of the pageant gets to be the wife of King Blockhead. Can you imagine that? Would you like to win that one? So they have this incredible pageant, and the winner, of course, is the lowly peasant Jewish girl Esther. She wins. She gets to marry King Blockhead. Now, if the story had ended there, it would have kind of been your Hollywood, typical Hollywood movie, rags to riches, you know, peasant Jewish girl gets king, great chick flick, right? But see, the story doesn't end there. In fact, that's really just the beginning of the story. And really, I challenge you to read Esther this afternoon. It's, 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 It's a great, great story. But in the time that we have remaining... What I want to look at are two very valuable lessons that we get from the book of Esther, all right? I want to unpack those two lessons. The first lesson that we get from the book of Esther is this. Life does not just happen. I want to say that again. Life does not just happen. I want you to think about your life. I don't know where you are right now. I don't even know what your situation is, but I want you to know one thing. It hasn't just happened. It's not haphazard. In fact, the unenlightened person looks out. They look at their life, and they oftentimes think, wow, this is just kind of random. This is just kind of chance. That would be a very, very mistaken viewpoint. You know, Esther is truly a unique book, and the reason why it's unique is it almost didn't make it into the Old Testament canon. You know why? Anybody? Because, you see, God's never mentioned Did you know that? It's the only book in the Bible where God is never actually mentioned. However, if you read the book of Esther, you see the fingerprints of God. They are all over the pages of Esther. You see, God is there. You may think God is not right now present in your life. I don't know, again, what's happening in your life. But you may have the idea that, wow, God's gone. He's not present. That would be a major mistake God is in the shadows. So often, he is in the shadows. He is behind the scenes, and he is orchestrating. Now, listen to this. He is orchestrating the circumstances that are occurring in your life. Esther is ultimately a book about providence. You ever heard that term, the providence of God? Esther really is about the providence of God. And you say, well, what does it mean when you talk about the providence of God? Let me tell you, the providence of God means this. It means that God is working. God is working in your life. He is working in Frank Ray's life. And you know how he's often working? He's working in the background. He's in the shadows, and he's working in the circumstances of your life, and he's working in the circumstances of my life. And you're going to see this now. He was working in the circumstances of Esther and Mordecai's life. Now, Esther would soon learn, by the way. She would soon learn that Xerxes had kind of this right-hand man who was malevolent, he was pompous, and power-hungry. Now, other than that, he was a pretty good guy. His name is Haman. Haman is an interesting character And because Haman was Xerxes' right-hand man, he kind of represented Xerxes. So whenever Haman was close or nearby or when he passed by, you were expected to bow down as if it was Xerxes himself. Now, we are told if you read the book of Esther, one afternoon, Mordecai is riding a horse and he's riding by, or Haman is, and Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. And you know why he did not bow down? Because he knew the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now listen to Exodus 25. It says this. In fact, I'm kind of giving you Frank Ray's version. All right, it's not up there. Now listen to this. You must not bow down to anything, anyone, any image, or worship them. That is reserved for God alone. The creator, God of the universe. You are to bow down to absolutely no person, no thing, no job, nothing other than the God of the universe. Why? The greatest mistake that people make, the reason why most people are empty and in trouble in their life, the reason why they make bad decisions is because they allow something other than the creator God, the God of the universe, to take first place in their heart. See, they'll go, wow, wow, no, 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 he's on my top five. Top five doesn't count. Top ten doesn't count. He doesn't want to be number two, number three, number four, number five, number nine, number ten. If you make that mistake, and I've seen it over my 34 years of ministry. If you make that mistake, you know what happens to you? Enslavement. Enslavement. There's no other choice. Tra- it's not life. It may seem like life at first. I've seen guys just go, woo-hoo. Adultery, affair, that's exciting. But soon they're enslaved. And you can just read the papers. Owner of... The New England Patriots. Can you imagine being him? Can you imagine what his kids think? Splashed all over. Couldn't control himself. Enslavement will embarrass you. It will kill you. You see, Mordecai understood that. Do you? Do I? I want you to think it through. Because Just read the pages every day. And every day you see people, whether it's craft, the owner of the patriots or anybody else. Every day you see someone remove God. And by the way, his wife was a born-again Christian. It's sad. He's lost his moorings, and now look where he is, and you end up in embarrassment and enslavement. Well, you need to know if you read the story, Haman becomes torqued. That's in the Hebrew also. Because Mordecai will not bow down to him. And so, you know what Haman does? He goes to his local library, nearby library, checks out, you know, Mordecai. He finds out his nationality, Jewish. He runs to Xerxes, and he says, you know what? Xerxes, there's this Jew, Mordecai, who doesn't bow down to you, who, who doesn't hold you in highest esteem. He has this other god. And by the way, just not him. It's those weird Jews and don't think Jeff right now, all right? But, but, but it's those strange Jews, you know? They, 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 they think that they, they know better than everybody else. They're not team players. So you know what I think you ought to do? I think you ought to liquidate them all. And you know what? Xerxes not thinking. In fact, signs an edict. We, we actually have the edict, but here it is. Esther chapter 3. Tim, can you put it up? This was what was put out. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire giving this order that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. And that's a, we know that year. They're absolutely right. March 7th, 473 B.C. Now think about it. Think about it if you're Mordecai. Mordecai is undone. Mordecai realizes it's because he refuses to bow down to Xerxes that this has happened. How would you feel if you were Mordecai? But you know what? If I I was with Mordecai, you know what I'd tell Mordecai? You stood up for the truth. No, no. You stood up for the truth. And I want you, now, listen, think our day and time. I wish we had more time. But let me tell you something. He stood up for the truth, and there are going to be consequences. This world hates the truth. It can't handle the truth. Let me tell you something. It will persecute the truth. No, no, it will persecute the truth. I want you to think about that. But you know what? God did not abandon Mordecai. God was with Mordecai, and he was weeping, and he was wailing, and he was crying out to God. And he said, God, what should I do? I believe that God spoke to Mordecai, and he convinced Mordecai to write his now adopted daughter, Esther, a note. It's a short note, but let me tell you something. It is a very significant note. Can you put that up, Tim? Here's the note that Mordecai sent Mordecai sent this reply to Esther Don't think for a moment. That because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet, at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows? Now watch this. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Do you understand what Mordecai was saying in that simple but profound note? He was saying, Esther, do you think life just happens? Do you think that you won the Miss Persian beauty pageant because of your beauty? Do you really believe that the Miss Persian beauty pageant was about you winning a trophy, putting it in your showcase, and having a crown on your head, and having Burke's part saying, here she is, Miss Persia. Well, it wasn't that bad. You think it was about that? Really, are you kidding me? You can't possibly be serious, Esther. God, though, through Mordecai, read that over and over, through Mordecai's note, he's giving Esther this extremely important truth. Listen to this truth. All, you think of all of Earth's little dramas, everything that's happening around the Earth, are mere pawns, are mere pawns in God's great plan to draw people to himself and bring everything in submission. Think about the profundity of that. Everything, everything that's happening in your life, everything that's happening around you are mere pawns, are mere pawns in God's great plan to draw all people to himself and to bring everything in submission to himself. You know, one of the great, great saints of the faith is another woman in fact, I think it's my wife, if she was here, she'd probably want to tell this story. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. Tim put up her picture. And perhaps this morning, your life isn't looking so good. Circumstances aren't so great. Life is tough. I believe this story that I'm going to tell you is going to give you perspective. And you know perspective is just a beautiful thing. It is an absolutely beautiful Now, I've told this story before, but... It just bears repetition. It is an incredible story that it's actually over and over again impacted my life. Now, Corey Ten Boom had a sister by the name of Betsy, and she and the entire Ten Boom family, God bless them, were hiding Jews during the Nazis' reign of terror in Europe. And I want you to know that was a good thing. It certainly was a brave thing, and it was the right thing to do. Do you know what the reward was? Someone ratted on them. Someone ratted on them. The whole Ten Boom family was arrested, and they were taken to various concentration camps all throughout Nazi Germany. Corrie and her sister ended up in a place called Ravensbrück. Tim, can you put the picture up? Ravensbrück was one of the worst of the concentration camps in Germany. The fleas and the lice were so prevalent in that camp that upon entering a bunkhouse, the fleas and the lice would swarm you the stench of burning flesh. The air was pungent with burning flesh because Jewish bodies were being incinerated. And it reminded you that death was imminent. The food consisted of one half pound of stale bread and one half liter of watery soup per day. Ravensbrook was hell on earth. Yet, you know what the Bible says? It says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, Betsy was a stronger Christian than Corey, and she would tell Corey, we need to give God thanks in all circumstances. We need to even thank God for the fleas and the lights. And Corey thought, you're bonkers. You are absolutely nuts. But you see, the providence of God was there in Ravensbrook working in their lives, and miraculously, and it is miraculous, they actually got a Bible. A Bible was smuggled in, and Corey and Betsy, they would trade it back and forth during the day trying to memorize Scripture. And then you know what they did at night? They would hold a Bible study. Now listen to this If the Nazi guards ever caught you holding a meeting, if they caught you with a Bible, you would be executed immediately. And what absolutely though amazed Betsy and Corey is the Nazi guards never visited their bunkhouse. Never visited their bunkhouse. And one day... Betsy came in. She was so excited. She says, Corey, Corey, I got to tell you this. I was out. I was listening to one of the Nazi guards today and they said, that the guards said, they would not step foot in our bunkhouse because of the fleas and because of the lice. And she goes, praise God, thank you for fleas. Corey would later say, nothing, nothing escapes the eye in the plan of God. Many months later, Corey would be released from Ravensbrook. Now, how did she get released from Ravensbrook? that hell? The human response, the human answer is that a clerical error was made. But you know what the true answer is? The providence of God. The providence of God was at work. All right, let's move to the challenge. The challenge is the second lesson that I want to learn from Esther. Please don't miss this. The lesson is this. Esther had a choice to make. Esther had a choice. She could believe that her effort, her work, her beauty was the cause of her winning the Miss Persian Beauty Contest. She could believe that. A lot of us, it's it's easy for pride to well up and for us, isn't it amazing how we can take credit for stuff? Or she could believe that the providence of God was at work in the circumstances of her life. Orchestrating things for God's glory and for her good. I just, and and, and she had a choice to make. And by the way, before we finish here, each one of us has a choice to make. Tim, can you put up those scriptures again? Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. You, You really ought to put this, you know, on your refrigerator, maybe on your mirror in the morning. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace or wherever you are, the job you're at, the situation, will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Esther could have said no. Do you know that? I, I just want you to be clear on this point. Esther could have said no. That was a live option. It is a live option for both you and for me. We can say no. She could have said no. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Would God's plan have been thwarted? No. He, you know what he would have done? He would have found somebody else. He would have found another Isaiah and said, Here I am, Lord. Use me. No, it is tragic It is tragic the lives that so many Americans live. They want a comfortable lifestyle, an easy lifestyle, and they miss doing something significant in their life. You can't say no. I can say no. Oh, I know how easy it is just to do that. I want you to know God never wastes a life. He never wastes a life. You can we were born at this time, in this place, in this moment, for such a time as this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him in what he calls you to do? I guarantee you it won't be easy. It will require great faith. It will require that you make a stand for him. But please remember, please remember, Esther wasn't alone. She had a Mordecai. See, and that's necessary. I don't think she would have made it without Mordecai. We each need someone speaking in our lives. Did you know that? That will tell us the truth, that will impel us to stand for the truth, that's praying for us so that we don't miss out. On the incredible way that God wants to use us right now, right where we are. Lord, I just pray. What an incredible story of Esther. And you left it in your word so that we could know truth. Satan wants to lie to us and say, ah, oh, you're nothing. You're nothing to God. What a lie. He's taken note of each person here and has a purpose, an eternal purpose for each one. For such a time as this, we are here right now. Let us not miss, let us not miss what God wants to do eternally through each one of our lives. I ask for this in your precious name, amen.